Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to Brian Frederick, who is one of the three authors of American Presidential Candidate Spouses, The Public's Perspective. The book was published by Palgrave Macmillan this year. Two other authors are Laurel Elder and Barbara Burrell, but I have Brian on the phone today. Brian, how are you doing? I am doing terrific. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, such a pleasure. Pleasure to have read the book. Um before we talk about it, uh, maybe you can just take a moment to introduce yourself and also Laurel and Barbara. Yes, uh, I am the uh, chair of the political science department at uh, Bridgewater State University. Uh, my co-author, uh, Laurel Elder, is a uh, professor at Hartwood College in uh, New York. Um, and my other co-author is uh, Barbara Burrell. She's now uh, retired, uh, but formerly a uh, faculty member at uh, Northern Illinois University and uh, one of the leading experts on uh, gender and politics going back for uh, several decades. How did the three of you come together to work on this project? What's the what's the uh, start of the, the, the collaboration? I. It happened uh, several years ago. Actually, uh, Laurel and Barbara had uh, met at a conference and uh, had uh, found that they had similar interest in investigating public opinion toward uh, candidate uh, spouses, particularly after Michelle Obama uh, took over the role as first lady. They thought that uh, extending some of the earlier research that Barbara had done on public opinion towards uh, Hillary Clinton would uh, be a great research idea. And I had worked with Laurel and Barbara on other projects, and uh, they inquired whether I wanted to, to be involved, and uh, I said yes. And so uh, we uh, published an earlier paper in Presidential Studies Quarterly uh, looking at uh, public opinion towards presidential candidate spouses and uh, through uh, Michelle Obama in 2008. And then Laurel and I updated uh, that research for the 2012 campaign uh, with uh, Ann Romney and Michelle Obama once again. Uh, and from that paper, uh, uh, Paul Grave McMillan reached out to us uh, and, and asked whether we'd like to, to write a book uh, on public opinion towards uh, presidential candidate spouses. And uh, we said, well, hey, let's let's try it. And uh, uh, we, we got together and uh, it, it worked out. And I think uh, we came up with a pretty good finished product. Yeah, the book is super interesting. And I wonder, um, though, though some of the focus is, is more contemporary, I wonder if you could place the, t- the topic, the broad topic, in some historical context. Um, that is, how far back does this idea of a presidential spouse as an important, com- important component of a campaign go? And uh, are there any important historical breaks that matter in, in how to think about presidential spouses? So would you place this kind of in, in history for us? Yeah, I would say 1992 uh, is a critical year in terms of reimagining uh, the role of the presidential candidate spouse uh, in, in the campaign. So for uh, your your listeners, just kind of the background on that 
presidential election year, uh, President George H.W. Bush uh, was running for re-election that year, and he was pretty unpopular due to the downturn in the economy that had occurred. Um, and he was looking for any popular surrogate that he could get to try to boost his campaign. And uh, he had a, a great one in Barbara uh, Bush, who our uh, time series uh, shows is the most popular presidential candidate uh, spouse going back from 1988 to, to 2016. And so uh, even though she embodied a very traditional image of the uh, first lady, she also um, was uh, a very uh, a popular individual who the Bush campaign wanted to uh, be out there advocating on behalf of George H.W. Bush. And so they had her give a televised speech uh, at the Republican National uh, Convention, which hadn't been uh, done before. And also in 1992, uh, we had Hillary Clinton uh, campaigning and embracing feminist values and uh, basically saying um, two for the price of one was kind of the philosophy of the Clinton campaign, meaning that if you elect Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton is also going to play a major role in the administration. And so uh, that was a departure from uh, what uh, presidential candidate spouses ha had promised in the past. And so uh, uh, since 1992, I think there's been a public and political expectation uh, that whether they like it or not, the presidential candidate spouses are going to be uh, major surrogates for their um, uh, respective uh, presidential candidates. And uh, uh, that uh, trend has uh, uh, continued up until the most uh, recent presidential election. You know, Brian, you've already jumped ahead and told all the spoilers from the end of the book. So <laughs> before we get to all of those, maybe we can set this up even more, sure. which is which is why we should care about this. Um, what's the case that you make in the book that this matters? Um, we can We can sort of uh, understand that these are so these are historically significant people now, but in sort of theoretical sense, why should we care about um, uh, how the public uh, views uh, presidential spouses during a campaign? What's what's the case that the three of you make in the book? Well, uh, we argue that they are unique political actors. Uh, presidential candidates obviously have a number of surrogates who can speak out and testify on behalf of why. Uh, that person would make a, a good presidential uh, uh, candidate, why they would uh, do a good job as president. Uh, most of those are politicians and, you know, they can cite the policy reasons or the political reasons or uh, their interactions with them in, in the political process. But the presidential candidates' spouses are unique in that they can provide personal testimony. And so the Office of the Presidency is one where uh, we develop more personal connections than we might otherwise would with other lower offices. And so uh, these uh, particular political actors have the ability to uh, give us reassurance that this person has the, the personal attributes that are uh, what we would expect or require of a uh, president. And they are have intimate knowledge of who they are as a person. And so uh, there's a desire from the uh, public to, to hear about, uh, hear, hear what they have to say, particularly as it regards uh, uh, the, the qualifications of uh, the presidential candidate uh, uh, and what they would do if they became president. And so uh, uh, from that standpoint, uh, the, the, the public has become more and more interested in what they've had to say. And as media platforms have multiplied, uh, there's a need to uh, cover 
more aspects of the campaign to satisfy that uh, demand on cable news, the the internet, and other digital platforms. And so, covering the the, the speeches and the messages of the the candidate spouses is uh, increased. And so. Uh, that's uh, generated uh, more uh, public interest in who they are. And so that's also been reflected in the, the, the cre- increased numbers of uh, poll questions that have been asked about them over the years. In the 1988 campaign, um, that was the first time we were able to find questions in the Roper Center archive uh, about the candidate spouses and whether the, the public had a favorable view of them, Barbara Bush and Kitty Dukakis. But there was only one poll question. Uh, since then, um, that's uh, multiplied substantially, particularly in uh, 1992 and 1996 with Hillary Clinton, uh, where there's the most poll questions uh, asked by the media related to to, uh, to her as a candidate spouse o- over the years. And so uh, what we found is that uh, that that polling interest is also uh, tracking uh, increased interest from the public. Now. A lot of the book is about the traditional notions the public might have of presidential spouses and cases where these traditions are challenged in some way. Uh, How do you approach this comparison between an old and a new traditionalism? What does it mean uh, uh, to what is what is sort of the conventional notion of what the public has expected? And, And then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the cases where this has changed somewhat. Sure. So. Uh, the uh, position of first lady is very gendered, so um, the public is expected that that uh, person is going to embrace traditional gender norms, that they're going to be a supportive wife, uh, that they're going to care for the children, um, but that they're also going to represent the, uh, the, the country effectively as first lady at, at public events and ceremonial uh, events and that sort of thing. Um, and to the extent that they are going to, to speak out on things, they're very non-controversial topics like, uh, you know, uh, literacy and um, healthy eating and uh, th- and support for veterans' families, those kinds of non-controversial causes. So that's very much in the traditional mold of what uh, we would expect uh, a first, first lady uh, uh, to do. Um, but where things have changed, uh, and that really, I think, uh, took off in the 1992 presidential campaign is this idea that we argue that there's a new traditionalism, that yes, that, that the public has those traditional expectations um, and they don't want, uh, for instance, somebody to um, somebody who's in the office of uh, first lady to um, uh, take on a, a major policy role like a Hillary Clinton did um, and pre- potentially a Bill Clinton would have if Hillary Clinton was elected president and he was the first gentleman. Um, but they still want a presidential candidate spouse who's active on the campaign trail, who is a visible surrogate for the presidential can, can, uh, candidate, uh, him or herself. And so we uh, uh, asked an original poll question of a national sample uh, about, uh, about just that question. And uh, we found that uh, about 70 percent of the public expects the presidential candidate spouse to be visible and to be a uh, a presence on the campaign trail advocating on behalf of the presidential candidate. And so that very much fits in with this model that the public is expecting to hear from the presidential uh, candidate uh, spouse. And so uh, sort of balancing that new uh, traditionalism, being able to fulfill those uh, traditional gendered expectations while at the same time uh, being an adept and effective uh, uh, surrogate uh, for the presidential candidate 
uh, is uh, how the the spouses who are able to balance that most effectively gain the highest level of uh, uh, popularity. So you've already talked briefly about the 1992 race, the one that that many people um, know about. Um, But what that race didn't feature was was race and religion in the same way later races have uh, uh, featured that uh, those two important political factors. Uh, they did feature heavily in 2008. I wonder how that election illustrates the role of race and religion and how the public re- reacted to the two candidate spouses, Michelle Obama and, and Ann Romney. Yes. Uh, so um, 2012 was a uh, campaign of historic firsts. Uh, obviously, President Obama was the first African-American president and running for re-election. And so Michelle Obama was the first African-American um, first lady. Uh, and so that obviously uh, uh, put the issue of race at the forefront. But we also had uh, Mitt Romney becoming the first uh, Mormon to ever win a um uh, the nomination for president of a major party, and thus Ann Romney uh, was aspiring to be the first uh, uh, Mormon first lady. And so uh, in in that particular race, what we see uh, is another theme that we um, put forward in the book that uh, the uh, the position of first lady and presidential candidate spouse uh, uh, provides symbolic representation for historically underrepresented uh, groups. And so uh, for African-Americans, Michelle Obama was enormously popular. Um, even after you controlled for all the traditional uh, uh, demographic uh, political uh, factors, African-Americans viewed her uh, more favorably. And um, and obviously evaluations of uh, race and racial progress, um, uh, racial resentment, uh, those who scored higher on that scale evaluated Michelle Obama more negatively. Those who scored lower evaluated her more positively. The same thing um, is true with um, um, evaluations of uh, uh, Mormons uh, in the the 2012 campaign using the um, rating, feeling thermometer rating in the ANAS scale of Mormons, that was positively related towards uh, evaluations of Ann Romney. And also when you looked at the demographic data, uh, Ann Romney enjoyed some of her highest uh, ratings from uh, people who Describe themselves as Mormon. And so uh, from that standpoint, 2012 really made a connection in terms of uh, individual voters out there who were looking at the presidential candidate uh, spouses for, uh, you know, representation uh, in their government. But interestingly, um, the media didn't necessarily follow suit. If you look at the poll questions that were asked during the course of the 2012 campaign, none of them pose questions about the historical significance of either one of the candidate spouses. And part of the the fact that they didn't necessarily get as much media attention is that we say they both avoided scandal. Uh, They both did a a pretty good job of uh, advocating on behalf of the presidential candidate uh, uh, that they were uh, supporting. And so um, the the media didn't devote that that much attention uh, uh, to those uh, 
aspects of the the campaign. And I think both Romney and Obama, uh, the presidential candidates, didn't want to inject race and religion because they uh, uh, felt like uh, that there was potential to damage either one of their campaigns. So uh, it was sort of an interesting um, subplot that the voters themselves de- developed attachments to uh, Obama and Romney based on those symbolic uh, representational first, but the, the media didn't necessarily follow suit in its coverage. So 2016 is the last election, uh, last presidential election, the last uh, chapter of the book. Um, and it also poses an interesting first. Bill Clinton was the first major presidential spouse who was not uh, uh, a woman. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about his role in the campaign and the way the public responded to him as a presidential candidate spouse And can you separate that from the other things that make him so significant in that campaign? Yeah, I think it's very difficult. So uh, obviously he was the first male presidential candidate spouse, as you mentioned, but in so many other ways, he was unique in that he was a former uh, president, that he had such a visible profile that's much a much higher profile than any other non-incumbent spouse over the the course of our time series. So... um, a uh, very small percentage of the public was unable to evaluate him, but most people had an opinion. Uh, and so that was very polarized compared to other uh, presidential candidate spouses. And we argue that in 2016, we saw uh, the presidential candidate spouses uh, being the most unpopular in um the, the history of our time series, just as the presidential candidates were, Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. For Bill Clinton, we argue that he violated new traditionalism in that uh, he promised to play a major policy role in uh, Hillary Clinton's administration. In fact, she said during the campaign at one point that he would be her chief economic uh, policy advisor uh, and that she would use him in that role. And so that sort of harkened back when uh, she played a major role in his administration. Uh, uh, supporting the, the health care policy. And so I think uh, the, the polling evidence overwhelmingly indicates that the public does not want the, the, the first spouse, whether they're male or female, uh, to play a significant policy role. And so uh, that uh, sort of undermined Bill Clinton's ability to rise above uh, the uh, uh, normal kind of uh, partisan back and forth that many other presidential candidate spouses have. And so uh, he um, registered a higher disapproval rating than most of the uh, previous presidential candidate spouses because of it. Now, moving ahead uh, to the future, and and you're just sort of uh, speculating here, uh, one of the things that you learned from the book is that presidential spouses have typically been quite popular, more popular sometimes even than the candidates themselves. But 2016 uh, suggests a a change in this, the change that you just described with Bill Clinton. Do you anticipate in the future uh, that our polarized politics will will ultimately infect the the, the views the public have of candidate spouses and what happened in 2016 with Bill Clinton, some of the the negative views uh, of him as a presidential spouse will will persist and and grow stronger over time and so that spouses may be viewed very much the same as as candidates. What do you expect for the future? Well, I expect to see that the the idea of negative partisanship uh, that Alan Abramowitz and others have uh, articulated this idea that we don't so much love our own party, but we just hate the opposition party, um, that there's uh, 
a much larger base of negative sentiment towards any political actor in the opposite party than there used to be. And so you could say comparing Michelle Obama, she was able to generate a higher uh, favorability rating, but she couldn't reach the level that Barbara Bush did. In two, 1992, uh, more Democrats had a positive view of Barbara Bush than, than a negative view. That's not going to happen anytime soon. So we're not going to get back to the uh, stratospheric level of popularity that uh, Barbara Bush was able to achieve. But I do think Michelle Obama showed a model that there, uh, if you do uh, uh, comply with the, the new traditionalism and um, are able to um, uh, be adept at handling the job, that uh, you, you can um, still generate high favorability ratings that, that go beyond most of the political f- figures uh, at the national level. And part of that has to do with the sympathy factor. So we found in our polling that about 25% of the, the public thinks that presidential candidate spouses should be treated differently, that they should be given more sympathy because you don't choose to, to be a presidential candidate spouse. You're uh, uh, your spouse makes that decision. And because you want to be supportive, uh, you uh, campaign on their behalf. It's like anything in life when a family member in our lives does something, maybe we don't necessarily agree with it or want to be involved, but we want to be supportive. There's a, a large seg- segment of the public that feels the same way and, and gives some degree of sympathy. For 2016, I think um, the the trend towards negativity was exacerbated just because we had such unpopular uh, presidential contenders, uh, Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. If in the future we get uh, candidates that are a little bit more uh, popular, I think that that will weigh less on the presidential candidate spouses and to the d- degree that either whether they're male or female, they can fit in with the, the, the public ec- expectations. I think it's possible that they can achieve similar ratings to Michelle Obama, which weren't as high as uh, uh, Barbara Bush, uh, but certainly we're not going to go back to the days anytime soon where uh, the, the, the cross-party appeal of the presidential candidate spouses w- was as high as it was uh, back in the late 80s and, er- and early 90s. Again, the, the book is American Presidential Candidate Spouses, The Public's Perspective. The authors are Laurel Elder. Brian Frederick, and Barbara Burrell. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.